You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast, episode 30, Michael Manson. How you doing? This is Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne, and today I'm joined by Mr. Michael Manson um, hey. for our video. So, pleasure. Thanks for coming around, man. I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. It's pleasure um, to be here. You're in Melbourne with Jeff Lauber. Yes, Jeff Lauber. Diffusion. It's fusion. <laughs> We're playing a whole lot of notes. Yeah, <laughs> but it's all good though. Yeah. Um, have you played with Jeff much before in the past? Actually, um, I'm fairly new to the group. Um, I've done a couple of dates with him in in the states, and then uh, now we're getting extensive and going on tour. So yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, what and what's the what's the preparation like for a gig like that when you get the call? Uh, it's pretty intense, actually. Yeah. So, uh, uh, lots of reading. Right. Lots of note reading. Uh, there's so a lot of. Uh, he's got charts for rhythm. Oh, he's got charts. No. They're fairly extensive charts. I mean, there's rhythm charts, chord charts, and then there's there's lines that you have to play because it's, you know, they're, they're unison lines. Yeah, right. So it's uh, it's fairly intensive, uh, I must say, uh, which is kind of the reason why I took the gig in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to be able to just uh, a lot of times in the states, you know, when I'm doing things, uh, you have to be entertaining and you have to entertain a lot, and 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 that's good. And there's good and bad in that. Mm. But to be able to just stretch out and play and play some intense music uh, was actually what I was looking for. Without having to be the front guy. Without having to be the front guy. And yeah. uh, uh, but even Jeff himself, you know, uh, you know, as good looking as he is and all that, <laughs> he's you know he's. He's more about the music. He's about playing. Yeah. You know? And if the audience likes it, great. 
you know, I, this is the kind of way I feel about it. The audience likes it, great, then yeah. he loves it. But if they don't like it, I'm still going to play. Absolutely. Well, because yeah. I, I came when he was here, I think maybe at the start of the year or, or early last year. Yeah. And um, he stretched out pretty oh, yeah. pretty far. No, we stretch know? out a lot. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I yeah. love it, you know, because, uh, again, a lot of times in the States you have to be entertaining and you can't take long solos and you can't, you know, you have to... Uh, uh, kind of stay in the confines mm. of being entertaining and having people like you and be able to get up and dance and yeah, you know yeah. enjoy the show as it were sell some drinks sell some, <laughs> sell some drinks <laughs> so uh, so this is really cool and refreshing yeah nice and how do you actually go around go about absorbing that material you know like do you have any charts on stage or it's all uh, no, actually, I am reading charts on stage. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. And at this point now, uh, you know, we're fairly in the um, we're, we're in the beginning of the tour, and I'm starting not to look at them a whole lot. You know. Yeah, uh, but he but he was cool with that. I mean, he knows oh, it's obviously it's a, yeah. it's a huge yeah. amount of work to get yeah. to put in. But but otherwise, you know, if, if you get a call for a for a, a tour or a day or something like that, do you have a a method or process that you go through for absorbing the material? Uh, again, just practicing listening. And reading, yes, and then reading, um, and then I, to a point, I analyze you know what I'm going to do, uh, solo wise. Sure, you know harmonic structure. Yeah, that type of thing. Just get your head around some things, just Absolutely. so that you can have somewhere to start. Absolutely, and then I let the music take me. Yeah, cool. You know, um, first time in Australia? No, you were here before. I was here before with uh, George Duke. Right, and. Uh, um, I can't even remember the venue that we played, but uh, it's been a while. So this is my first time back. Yeah, cool. And I came to Melbourne, actually. I didn't go to Sydney. So we just finished up in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, it was my first time in Sydney, so it was very cool. Yeah, well, welcome to Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you. Um, where you. Whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, just outside, small city, just outside of Chicago. Hence t-shirt. Well, I'm, you know, I'm an avid sports fan, so, uh, in fact, my uh, Chicago Cubs are playing baseball as we speak right oh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I'm going to reach over and check my phone just a little bit. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a time out. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in Chicago, and uh, it's a wonderful, I, I would imagine, just like uh, Melbourne, it's a wonderful music scene in mm. Chicago. Um, you know, grew up, you know, doing the garage band thing and, you know, being the, the next Earth, Wind and Fire, Ohio players, you know. Those are good aspirations. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and then around 1980s or so, I mean, I started playing a lot of gospel. Okay. A lot of gospel. <laughs> and uh, I have a fairly intense church background. Okay. So, um, so it was natural, it was, it was a natural progression? Natural progression. Yeah. And, uh, but that wound up doing, you know, top of the line national gospel acts. Yeah. And uh, that were uh, around in that era. And uh, so that, that was cool. And, that, and I was really content, actually, in, in just doing that. Mm. And, uh, but then uh, um, as a spiritual awakening happened, as it were, mm-hmm. um, I decided that uh, I, I could do more. And not being a box anymore, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I started playing with a lot, well, some jazz gigs, uh, did some things around Chicago. But then I, I met uh, um, this guy named Kirk Whalum, saxophone player. Yeah. And uh, uh, we hit it off 
right away. We became friends. And I did a record uh, called The Gospel According to Jazz, (laughs) which was a really great bridge for me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it sounds like it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I've got the best of both both worlds, you know. Uh, I had, you know, I pride myself in having good education. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just, uh, about maybe seven years ago, finished... Seven years before I met Kirk, I had finished my master's degree uh, in bass in orchestra studies as well. Oh, wow. Oddly enough, I'm I'm not studied as a jazz player. Mm-hmm. I'm studied as a classical player. Right. So upright. Upright. And uh, and my major was um, orchestra conducting. Really. Yeah. Like big big band leading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> big band leading. Wow. So. Uh, 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 but I always knew how to play jazz, and it was like, you know, so, so I went to, go to school to learn something else. Sure. And uh, so I learned uh, how to uh, conduct an orchestra and how to play an orchestra. Did, did the classical side come from upbringing, or just something you wanted to do different? Um, kind of a lot from upbringing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but it was always a passion of mine. I love classical music. Right. I mean, I adore it. And uh, um, so after I finished that, then I met Kirk, and... Uh, Started then. I, from that album, I met George Duke, and we hit it off as well. Yeah. And uh, what what time would this be roughly? Uh, ninety seven. Okay. Or something. Nineties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, we we've been the best of friends since. Yeah. You know. And uh, so started working with George Duke. Started working with Kirk Whalen. Um, started working with Larry Carlton. Um, so kind of one thing just led to another and doors snowballed. Out. Yeah, it snowballed for real. I mean, Al Jarreau, um wow. came from that. Uh, did a couple of dates with Chaka Khan. Um, <laughs> that yeah. must have been an experience. Oh yeah, it I mean, was, I mean, they all must have been, you know. But but yeah, I mean, next to Chaka on stage must have been. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, to to, to hang out with the A listers as it were. Sure, you know. And all I felt like I was was just another gospel bass player. But well, I guess that's good, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it was good. It was cool. Uh, uh, but I learned a lot from from George. I think George is probably the most influential. I, you know, I I the way I feel about bass is that uh, uh, yes, it plays a bass line, and yes, it should be felt and heard. Mm-hmm. But it should also, and this thing that I've learned from, from George and from Kirk as well, is that bass should sing. Mm. It's gotta sing. If it sings, then it reaches people. If you're just doing a bass line, it's like, okay, well, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. You know. But if it sings and it comes from you, then it reaches people and then it's felt. And uh, so that's a big deal. Right. It's a big deal for me. Is, and is that like a you reckon that's a lifelong? It's a mantra. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It's you know. I mean, if I can get this instrument, it has its limitations. Yeah. For real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't so, necessarily want to sing and pick it up. It doesn't. You gotta. You know, I, I envy saxophone players to a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, you're singing. You know. Yeah. But I mean, you know. Uh, uh, that said, George was one of those guys where uh, uh, he 
even on the, with the limitations on the keyboard, because there are limitations on the keyboard as well. Sure, yeah. But uh, with limitations on the keyboard, it's like, you know, overcome them and sync mm. and reach people. And so you reckon it really kind of helped to develop a stronger voice? Absolutely. On, on your instrument? Absolutely. Yeah, which is important, I think. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's the most important. You know, otherwise, you're just functional. Yeah. And functionality can be replaced. Hmm. True. Yeah, I mean, I guess you want people to call you for you. Absolutely. You know, the, the bass playing is a given. Yes. And then they want that f flavor or that voice that, that you have. If somebody calls me, okay, and I, this may be a little haughty, but if somebody calls me and they say, hey, I need a bass player, I say, don't call me. Yeah, right. But if you want me to sing on your, you know, sing bass, mm. and you want the flavor that I bring, then fine, we're good. We're golden. Yeah. But if you just need a bass player, call, call a bass yeah. player. Yeah. Call a, or you could, know, I mean, that kind of functionality can be, be be replaced by a keyboard player. Yeah, I'm pretty sure George George had a pretty good oh, bass playing <laughs> capacity. Oh he could do anything that I could do. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, he wanted my flavor. He wanted who and what I bring. Yeah, and uh, and I, I I get that out of my band as well. It's like okay, whatever you have mm. is what I want. Yeah, I guess that's like what I was saying earlier on about about my own band, you know, mm -hmm. about subbing people in and out. Sure. Sometimes you got to do it, but mm -hmm. but ultimately, when you find that right mix of guys, mm -hmm. it makes a unique sound, and right. everybody's unique voice then creates something so else. That's yeah. Right. Uh, you know, like those great great bands in history, like Weather Report and Kill Jackets and mm -hmm. Fire. I mean, they had some changes, but essentially the core that sound was from specific guys. Specific guys. You know, and, and I realize things happen within groups. Yeah. It's a marriage. You know, sometimes the mm -hmm. uh, marriages, you know, don't stay together. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. It, we're human. It's good for a bit. And yeah. Then you gotta, yeah. And, uh, uh, but while the marriage is happening, mm. you know, there is a unique thing there. And, uh, and everybody brings something to the table. Sure. Yeah. Um, Chicago is obviously quite well known as a, as a blues capital. It is. Did you did you get involved in in that side of things? Not at all. Not at all. Right. Not at all. Um, again, you know, going to my my spiritual upbringing, it was like uh, because blues and gospel can be, can, you know, musically it's it's just about the same. Sure. You know, it can't be anyway. But culturally, or but socially. culturally, it's definitely it's <laughs> a little different. <laughs> kind of different. Interesting. Ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So I never really get into got into the culture. I mean, I can't say that I've never played blues, but you know, but I never got into the. I mean, I I have friends who, um, who can you know work six nights a week, in blues clubs in Chicago. Right. I mean, it's that prevalent. So mm. and uh, so it's very important to the to, um, the culture of Chicago. The mm. Blues is. So then, when when you were kind of, growing up in your in your formative years playing bass, mm -hmm. um, what were some of the guys or some of the bands that you were kind of aiming towards? Well, again, uh, Earth and the Fire was, was a big band, that thing I was into, the Ohio players. Um, uh, the guy who really kind of formed my way of playing mm -hmm. um, was uh, Abraham Labario. Okay. Uh, Abe Senior, I should say, because there is a junior. Yeah. But Abe Senior uh, kind of melded me into the type of player that I am. Because we see on a lot of gospel stuff at the time. Well, 
He did both gospel and, and jazz. Okay. He did both uh, uh, Al Jarreau, and he did also Andre Crouch. Okay. Andre Crouch is a, a, a big gospel artist of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would listen to him in both aspects and, uh, and didn't want to be like him. You know, and envied them actually, mm. um, but I had, um, uh, and I, of course I listened to Stanley Clark and those guys. But I had kind of an ego on me, right? In that uh, I was like, okay, I love what you guys are doing. I want to be as good or better. And that's what drives you. That's what drives me. Yeah, yeah. So you were getting private lessons, or I was getting some private lessons, but more often than not, I was just getting band lessons. You know, I'm, uh, I mean, my reading chops uh, came from just playing in, in school bands and school orchestras. And then, uh, uh, so I can't point to a private teacher that really kind of... Sure, yeah. Um, I had a couple of teachers who were very, very important, mm-hmm. you know, but they weren't necessarily bass teachers. Yeah. And is there, is there anything that, you know, now at your stage in your career, is there anything that you wish you'd maybe got a handle on earlier? At, the, at that time when you're just like soaking everything up and you're involved, no, no, no. it's it's all meant to be the way. It it's it's the way it happened is what you is meant to be. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the the slap pop thing started to happen. Yeah, and uh, I was so envious of that. You know? <laughs> and uh, I mean, to the point where I, when I saw somebody do it, uh, it was like, oh my gosh, uh, I would I would literally spend hours upon hours, six to eight hours. Just trying to get it, just to make sure it happens, you know, and uh, and, and finally did, of course, you know. But uh, uh, but I remember that when that whole transition thing started, you know. yeah. Up until that time, you know, um, you know, we were doing the Willie Weeks, you know, just play the bass line type of thing, you know, and uh, um, but that that changed the game for us. Yeah, it did. Like, you know, Larry and Marcus absolutely came along. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've always been in Chicago? Always been in Chicago, still there. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, obviously you've traveled around and gigged around America. Yeah. How, how do you find the, sh- the Chicago vibe compared to like maybe like New York or Nashville or LA? What, what would you say is the, apart from the blues, a kind of defining musical I'd flavor? I'd hate to stereotype like that, but if I had to, okay. um, I think Chicago lends itself to having the aggressiveness of players like New York. Yep. But then I think that uh, L.A. is a little bit more laid back. Players, uh, they're a little bit more laid back. Hmm. They approach things a lot more melodically. Okay. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, I mean, that's that's very that's general. For sure, yeah. But uh, um, So a bit of a blend of both. A bit of bit, yeah, yeah. Um, so much to the point where, where you know, I, 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 I keep trying to figure it out. How did a Chicago bass player wind up playing with a George Duke who is who could hire anybody in LA to play his gig? Yeah, I mean anybody. Uh, and how did he wind up for seventeen years hiring a guy from Chicago? Well, I think it was that mixture, that kind of, you know, yeah, the mixture of a, of kind of being aggressive. Yeah, you know, but then uh, melodic enough to to sing on the bass. Yeah, you know, interesting. So, yeah, so um, uh, again, he could have the crim- he's had the crim the crim, 
know, I mean, Stanley Clark and, you know... Uh, yeah, there's almost like finishing school for, yeah, for bass players. For bass players. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Byron Miller and, you know, Larry Compel and all these guys who are just amazing bass players. And yeah. how did he wind up with somebody from Chicago? But uh, you wanted that edge? I wanted that edge, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and you also do your, you've got your own. I do. Your own kind of ensemble, your own career. I do. How did, I do. How did that come around? So I was working with, uh, off and on, with a, uh, with a guy uh, who's pretty hot in, shall we say, contemporary smooth jazz in, um, in the States. His name is Brian Culberson. And, okay, uh, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I spent a little time, he's from Chicago as well, a young guy, you know, but he's an excellent, excellent producer. Is he a trumpet player? No. Trombone player. Trombone. Trombone player, but he's a keyboardist as well. Keyboard, yeah. And um, he's an excellent producer, though. So I started playing with his band, and um, uh, and he kept, you know, encouraging me to, to do my own records. You know, it's like, you know, you really could do this. And, uh, so he was hiring you for dates and stuff yes, like that? Yes, he was hiring me for dates, and I uh, uh, became part of his band. And uh, But then he's like, okay, well, you can actually do your own thing. So he And he actually helped me produce my own, my first record. Okay. And uh, when was so that? That was ooh, 2002, 2003. Okay, not not too long ago. Too long. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, so it came out, you know, and uh, it produced a, a, a number one hit on contemporary jazz charts. Awesome. So couldn't be mad. So you're like, let's do this again. Let's do this again. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know, I uh, elicited a lot of help from. Uh, my other friends like Kirk and George and yeah. uh, and everybody else who I knew in the in the industry, you know, uh, and they are very very willing to help, you know, because you know if you spend a lot of time, you know, pouring into other people's careers, like bass players do, we're we're, we're essentially by nature supportive. Yeah, and uh, and if you if you need other people's support, the people that you have supported, mm. you know, they're more inclined to to That's reciprocate. Cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Kind of, you know, don't, one of the things about I find anyway is like, don't get too caught up in the in the you know gigs for money side of things. Oh, you absolutely. know, don't don't forget why you started playing absolutely. in the first place. The joy of music absolutely. and playing with other people. That's you right. know, yeah. money can be a divisive thing, but yeah, ultimately, you know, it's it's, it's a community. And, that, and truth be told, I mean, uh, full disclosure, a lot of the guys who worked on my records, you know, the big names as it were, didn't charge me. Did George play on it a little bit? Yes, he did. Cool. On, on two records, I want to say. Yeah. And, uh, well, no charge. It's like, you know, I'll just do it, you know, because I love doing it. And I've done that for him as well. Yeah. You know, just, came in. Let's just play. Cool. You know? um, yeah. And it happens that way in our community, I think. You know, it, it's, uh, I mean, everybody's, you know, I mean, the way the music business is right now, you know, everybody's, everybody's out on the struggle. I don't care how big your name is. You know? Yeah. Everybody's kind of feeling the pinch, as it were. For sure. You know, and uh, so it just, it, it it's nice to be nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to do any harm, hopefully. <laughs> and what's your um, what's your writing process or, or approach for, well, for that kind of stuff? I am, uh, I'm a keyboardist as well. I okay. play keys. So I do a lot of writing from the keyboard. Um, in fact, it's rare that I, I, I write from bass, except when I'm writing a funk tune. Okay. Because bass line comes first. 
If you get that, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if I'm writing unison lines, you know, I'll write something that I play. Yeah. Have, you know, and I kind of get that off of Jeffrey's music as well. Jeff Lober's music is that most of his stuff that he writes is stuff that he plays already. Everybody else is going to play. <laughs> he plays, you know. Well, he, that's his right. <laughs> I, that's, yeah, it is. You know, but I find ourselves we find ourselves doing you know a lot of Jeffrey lines, and that's cool because I get to know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at some point you'll come out with my own music as well. Yeah, and a different different flavor, different, different flavor, different place. That's yeah. cool. So, you, um, do you sing as well? I don't. No. Okay. No. A little bit. No. <laughs> I tell you a funny story. Right. So, uh, before George and, and Al passed, right? Um, we did the uh, the Java Jazz Festival. Okay. In in Jakarta. That's pre that's a pretty big festival. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's fantastic. And uh, so uh, it was a trio thing, right? So it's me, George, and a drummer, and Al. We're the only ones on stage, right? So there's no background singers for Al. Okay. So it's me and George singing background. <laughs> and George will go in and out. If he has to play something, he'll go in and out. So who's left? <laughs> me. And it is the worst singing ever <laughs> in front of thousands of people. With Al Jiro. With Al Jiro. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, oh, I, I know people that. are going to look for this, but it's our, it's, it's on YouTube. And oh, wow. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's painful. Because <laughs> I'm just not a singer. Yeah, you know? it's tough. Tough to play and sing, uh, sing and play bass, I think. No, I have a bad voice. Okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Just, <laughs> it. My voice is bad. <laughs> well, you know, at least you can say you sang with, with Al Jiro. You know, not many people can, can say that. That's very true. Very true. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I hire singers. Okay, yeah. I hire singers. Yeah. And how, you know, how do you find... Um, Touring has changed since you since you started doing it. I think because the world's quite a different place now. You know, it's more expensive, but in some regards, it's cheaper. You know, um, what's it like hitting the road now compared to when you were? Well, you know, I uh, I don't know. It, it seems to me that that it's uh, the world is a smaller place now, mm -hmm. and that we're all so connected. So. I mean, I feel like being in Melbourne is like being at home in some respects. Sure. Uh, so I don't feel so disconnected. So, um, and yes, it's probably, you know, uh, kind of expensive, I would imagine, to, to get us over here and all over the place, and, you know, but, uh, uh, but you would think that it was, you know, the difference from being back in the day as opposed to now is that you would think that there's, there's this big divide, and there isn't. They're great players all over the world. Mm. Uh, there are, uh, uh, and people are people. And uh, so, you know, there's not a big mystery anymore. You know, just going to another place, experience different people. Yeah. And play for different people. Um, so I think that's that's my my perception. Sure. You know, it's that, it's just, the world is smaller. More connected. More connected. But, uh, but there's still that. Um, hunger for live music and stuff. Absolutely, thinking? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, 
I think even more so outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. In that uh, uh, we're so media driven mm. uh, in the U.S. specifically. Yeah. And we're glued to devices and we're glued to televisions and we're almost to the point where we'd rather stay at home and experience uh, streaming, mm. as it were, <clears throat> than to go out and be a community of music lovers. Yeah. I mean, it's not always that way, but I mean, it's, you know, you could, it's becoming more prevalent. Yeah, when that option is right there, it's much, yeah. much easier to just... Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. just turn on. And it. also, you know, there's a, maybe saturation's the, the wrong word, but there's so much uh, yeah, music well, no, stuff all the time. Saturation like, oh, well, is actually really good. I'll go out next week and see it, or right. you know, I'll see him next time he's in town. Kind of right, thing. or I'll see somebody like him, or I'll see somebody like her. Yeah in another week or so, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, back when I was growing up, you know, music uh, was held, music and musicians were held more in high esteem. Yeah. Um, and it's because they were, you know, if you had something that was readily available and marketable to the public, then you had to have had some kind of validity. Yeah. You know, uh, at least that was the perception. Yeah. Um, now, with the point of anybody who can program a computer and market themselves, yeah, can have a record. It's like it seems that the you know lessens the value. It lessens the value. Yeah. 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 And also, um, just the uh, it's hard to it's hard to kind of describe, but um, people can. There's no mystery anymore, I guess, you know, yeah. like the only way that you could get to see an artist would be to go and see the artist, you know, right. YouTube didn't exist, you know, right. unless you bought, bought a VHS or something like that, right. or put on the record, that was the only way that you could get that, some of that experience, right. whereas nowadays, I mean, I saw online the other day that they're, um, they're actually going to start selling concert tickets like virtual reality concert tickets. So you want to go and see U2, but it's sold out. And there'll mm -hmm. be like, but there'll be 300 cameras along the front row and you can pay 50 bucks and get a live stream of the U2 concert to your, to your computer. To, yeah. And it'll be like a 360 DD camera. So you feel like you're in the audience, you know, which is great for those guys. Cause they're making, you know, an extra 50% on top of the, the, sure. the sell at concert. But, um, I'm not sure what kind of message that will send to the to the general music going public, you know, whether that becomes... At some point, it will be an empty concert hall. <laughs> Full of like robots with cameras. Yeah. You send your, you send your drone in. <laughs> it's not far away. But it's not the same. It's not the same. You don't get stood on and drinks spilled on you. Well, even more important, uh, the the vibrations of the music, right? The idea of going to a concert, actually, the idea, and I got this from from uh, from a study that was done on choirs. In that, when the choir sings, right, mm. they're all breathing together, they're all feeling the same vibrations together, mm. which makes it more of a community. The same is true as the concert goer where you are feeling those vibrations all together. Mm. You may not be breathing all together, but you know, but you're feeling all that together and you're sharing this experience of the vibrations yeah. hitting you 
that's what makes a concert special. Yeah. You know? And you are communing with each other yeah. as opposed to sitting in a room. Yeah. It's like a it's like a unique shared experience. It is. It is. It is. Uh, so um you know, so I hate to see that happen, but I yeah. know it's probably at some point gonna happen. To some extent, you know, but we'll, I mean, I think the music industry, musicians, we, we find other ways to combat it and we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this guy you've got in your hands here. <laughs> this little thing. Yeah. 20, 20 years old this year. You used this on uh, George Duke stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, this honestly, it is a very cheap Fender. Yeah. American made jazz deluxe, and it works. I mean, I have no complaints. I have bases that cost you know six thousand, seven thousand US. They never make it out of my house. This makes it out of my house. Yeah. This is the one that works. This feels like home. It is. It's like going to grandma's house. Mm -hmm. Being able to just sit down and, you know, yep. hang out, you know. You know where everyone's going to be. Everything's going to be nice. <laughs> and you can get anything you want. <laughs> um, what, what was your first bass? Can you remember? Actually, it was a, it was a Fender. Okay. It was an old Fender jazz bass. I bought that new as well, and I made the most stupidest mistake by selling it okay. to get a bass, because, right, so it was a jazz bass. So it was named jazz. And I was thinking, I want to play things, I'm so young and stupid. <laughs> uh, I want to play other music aside from jazz, so I'm going to need another bass to play. <laughs> So, Do you have any funk bases? <laughs> so I sold it for a PV T40 bass. Okay. Stupidest thing I've ever done. I mean, how old of a jazz are we talking about? 70s? 70s, yeah. Yeah. I still had that right now. Oh my god. Yeah. Do you still have the PV? No. Of course not. Of uh, yeah, that was really stupid. So, I mean, I learned. I have never, ever sold another bass. Right, okay. Just because I won't, I won't ever do that. When did you start going down to the five string? Um, around 1987 uh, or 86. I, again, I had higher aspirations of playing with Al Jarreau, right? Okay. The guy who was playing with Al Jarreau uh, at the time was um, uh, Nathan East. Nathan had just acquired a five-string Yamaha. Yeah. And when I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to have that bass. So I went and, and bought the... Uh, the Yamaha BB5000. You know, it's a classic now. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I, but I bought that bass just because of Nathan. Right. And, uh, there's, just going back to what we were talking about earlier on, like, there's a guy that is, you know, has a voice 100%, 
and and as a bass player, you know, he, he brings that voice to his bass playing. Like mm -hmm. when you when you hear it, it's perfectly functional. You know, it does exactly what it should do, but it has this thing mm -hmm. on it, and mm -hmm. and that's his. I reckon that's his singing voice coming through because he's all, he's actually also a really good singer. He's a really good singer. Yeah, I wish I could sing like yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's very very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's he he was one who, who was kind of influential. I, there was this uh, uh, live video, live DVD that they did, concert DVD, uh, around 1985 or so, 1986. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Yeah. And uh, so. And uh, then 20 years later, or 10 years later, whatever you. Then I started, you know, dreams. I guess the deal is, man, is that. Um, I'm a testament to, to dreams coming true. Mm. I mean, yes, I worked hard, you know, and prayed a lot, you know, but uh, dreams do come true. I mean, I aspired to, when I was learning, one of the first uh, bass solos that I ever learned was the George Duke Reach For It. Yeah, right. Uh, one of the first guys who uh, I was inspired to played like was Abraham Lovario and he was playing with uh, with Al Jarreau. Mm. Um, and I always pitch myself, I said, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to play at a level where I can, you know, yeah, do what they do and I want to be able to do it better. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, I don't know if I do it better now, but I certainly can do it. Well, you do it the Michael Manson way. Which I is, do it, I think when you're when you're in that circle, there isn't really better. It's just different. Yeah, it's just it's, just, it's just it's a different. I do it the way I do it. Yeah. And uh, uh, and nobody can do that better than I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It takes solace in that. Mm -hmm. um, what was uh, what was the Larry Carlton gig like? <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, I love Larry. Uh, it was interesting being uh, to to play all the stuff that I play. And then play that with a guitar player, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it took me a minute to learn space, okay, and boundaries. Right. Know. It's like okay, uh, when he's doing something that is lower in, I don't do my thing up here, you know, and and you know, uh, and then when he is, you know, then I do my thing, you know, when he's playing higher and doing his thing, and he's he's the ultimate, should be told, he's the ultimate blues guitarist. Oh yeah, you can boil everything down to that. Yeah, he's the blues guitarist. I mean, he said it once to me. He said, "Man, uh, if I could just sit on a porch in the country <laughs> with my guitar and rock and play my guitar, I'd be happy. I don't have to go out and do any concerts, no nothing, no recordings. I just want to sit, rock, you know. Don't need to deal with bass players, drummers. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a drink. Yeah. Let me rock and play my guitar." I'll be great. Yeah. Uh, and nobody could bend a note like he could. Nobody. I mean, he's the ultimate note bender. <laughs> and he sings. He sings. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, to be able to find your voice. So, I mean, um, I think the most difficult thing about playing with, with Larry, I mean, there was a lot of great things about playing with him. But the most difficult was being able to find your voice with another voice. And sure. to be able to sing together. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But now he's playing. His son is playing with him right now. Yeah, and, I saw and, that. Uh, so I mean, I know they 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 gel together great. Mm. I'm sure of that. Yeah. Do you ever get a chance to meet Abe? I have. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
Uh, in fact, uh, I mean, the first time I met him, I was, I was completely starstruck. Completely. I was like, and he was just, uh, I was playing with a gospel choir. We, we did the Motown 25th anniversary or 30th anniversary. I can't remember which one it was. And we went to my first trip to L.A. And uh, so Paul Jackson was playing guitar and, uh, uh, and Abe was playing bass for the, for the show. Right. And uh, so I had to go up and replace Abe. You know, for, I was like, <laughs> but oh my God, knees shaking, pants, wow. sweaty, <laughs> everything. It was, it was the worst. <laughs> I got a chance to meet my hero. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, it was very inspiring. Very inspiring. That's great. Yeah, I'm still inspired by you know, and even more so than his playing, I'm inspired by the, his approach, mentally, conceptually. Okay. You know, um, you know, he's a great player, but I don't play necessarily like him. No. In that, because uh, he plays this flamingo style. Mm. Uh, he's he's really an awesome flamingo uh, guitarist. Yeah. And um, so I don't play like him, you know, but. Uh, uh, but his approach is masterful, mm -hmm. and I love that. So, very melodic. Very melodic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And have you ventured into the world of inspiring others? You know, teaching. Have you? Oh, absolutely, I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, me and my wife, we run a not-for-profit music school oh, wow. in Chicago called the Musical Arts Institute. Right, and. Um, uh, we serve uh, underprivileged kids, about 425 of them, actually. That's huge. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But we teach everything. Yeah. You know. And um, you teach you teach bass there? Of course. Bass, I do bass and piano as well. Cool. And uh, uh, we've got a staff of 13, 14 teachers, 14 teachers. And uh, um, we're seven years old now and helping out a lot of kids. Um, I'm very proud just yesterday. Uh, one of the first, one of our first students who later became one of our teachers is uh, an opera singer now. She's uh, debuting at the uh, Lyric Opera. Wow. And uh, I mean, literally changed the life. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Music. So, music. And has that, do you reckon that's in any way changed the way, the way that you play or the way that you approach music? Um, no. But I get, I want to get people to see and the way I approach it, mm -hmm. uh, so that you know, because I mimic somebody, mm -hmm. I mimic one of my teachers, yeah. And if I can have that same effect on somebody else, and I know I have that actually at this point, yeah, you know, uh, then mission accomplished. That's I'm cool. Good. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And you also tell me you just released. A new single? Just released a new single. So this is my, I'm working on my fifth record right now. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so it's really, really cool. Uh, Has there been a, an evolution, do you reckon, from your, from your first one to now, or? Um, yes. Uh, I think I write better now. Okay. I think I write better. I think I write better for this instrument now. Right. You know? uh, I, again, my, my, my ultimate is to be able to sing. Yeah. You know? Um, but uh, yeah, I think I uh, I could see the growth from my first record to that to this one. Although my fourth record, which is a uh, is a live concert uh, double double uh, okay. CD live concert, so I feature my band. Sure. Uh, 
sure. I think you may have seen some of that. Is there some YouTube clips of that up? Yes. Yeah, it's a killer band. You do um, funk medley? Yes. All those classy bass lines. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bread and butter. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so, cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, this record, this is my first studio record in about maybe six years, let me say. Okay. So, it's cool, it's cool to be back in the studio. Yeah. Although, I had to do my live record. In that, sometimes, especially in the U.S., you know, people try to put you in a box. Mm. You know, you're gonna play this type of music. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about you know being in that adult yeah. contemporary jazz, smooth yeah. jazz. Like, how how does that affect you career-wise and what you want to do artistically? So, I mean, there's a business side to it. Yeah. Um, but then there's the artistic side, and I've never wanted to ever, shall I say, prostitute myself mm -hmm. and try to be in the box, as it were. I don't ever want to be that. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, but there's some aspects of the of, of the writing process that you know require you to do some things or have some elements that are recognizable for the box, as it were. Sure. Um, but I wanted to do a record that was just I don't care if anybody plays it, I don't care if anybody buys it. We're gonna do this. So that's this one. This. One. So well, no, that was my live record. Your live record, right? My yeah. Uh, this one, I, and, and you know, for this one as well, I, I, I don't think that I care as much in, anymore. Mm. Uh, I don't think I, I care about being in the box as it were anymore. You know? um, again, the single itself has some elements that you know are kind of the adult contemporary thing, but uh, but uh, but the record itself, the whole record. Cool. I always want to uh, to express myself totally, and uh, and then you know I love the collaboration between musicians, mm -hmm. so I like to feature other musicians as well. You got some guests on this one, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Do you do you cut it live or? I well, I cut some of it live, then some of it I don't. Some yeah. of it, you know, we, we piece it together. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, you've had a huge career. <laughs> it's, so just, far. I'm just old. <laughs> but what I was getting to is, um, what advice do you reckon you would want to offer to to bass players nowadays, young guys starting out, or even a, a young Michael Manson? You know, what would what do you think's key to really having a career? <clears throat> Again, I, I think first of all is being true to yourself. Uh, practice, practice hard. Uh, have great technique, and then forget about it. Yeah. Forget about it, and and whatever's in you, bring it out. Mm -hmm. Whatever you've heard, listen to a lot of people. Yeah. Listen to a lot of people because uh, they, uh, all of the people will be the sum of who you are. And uh, I think that's that's been the case for me. Uh, and then, um, aside from that, you know, like I said, it, bring you to the table. Market yourself, of course. Mm. You know, uh, I guess that's that's one good thing about the current industry and environment right. is that right. we have control over how we're perceived and how we right. present ourselves instead right. of waiting for somebody else. Uh, so market yourself very, very well, but always bring you to the table. Mm. 
I'll just play bass. That sucks. Yeah. Bring you all that you have to yeah. the table. And if, even if there's a specific bass line that you have to play, you know, for the integrity of the song, right? Yeah. Still play it like you play it. Yeah. That makes a difference. Individuality. Being able to be who you are. Mm. I think that's most important. Yeah, definitely. And then everything else that goes along with that professionalism. And oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that whole yeah, turn yeah. up on time. And absolutely. Having yeah. beautiful works. And yeah. That's, that's a given, I guess, right? Yeah, it is. Being able to hang on a tour bus. Being able to be friendly. Yeah. Not weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got one out of two. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, all of those things are given. But, you know, and, and those things, aside from what I talked about, will get you the gig. Mm. But being who you are will keep the gig. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. I think we can probably wrap it up there. Sure. That's good. It's a good note to end on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Michael Manson, everyone. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Sure.